Welcome to Real Truth Real Quick. My name's Adam Tarno, joined as always by Todd Wagner. Todd, how are we doing? I'm well, Adam. Hello. Hello, friends. All right. This week's episode, we got a great question. What is the difference between enabling and unconditional love? Wow. All right. Well, let's define those two terms, all right? And uh, I think it really helps. So whenever you're talking about love, if you chase it to anything that has to do with emotions, you're making it a meaningless and pagan thing, right? If you define love with any other way than a cross, I think you've reduced love to something it shouldn't be. So um, kind of the love chapter we always know is in 1 Corinthians chapter 13. It says love is patient and kind. Love is not jealous, does not brag, and is not arrogant. And I think let's just stop right there for a second because people go, see, if I'm patient and kind, I'm going to keep letting a person do this, which very quickly can drift towards enabling. It's why we've always said don't just memorize a Bible verse. All right, memorize the Bible in context because there's more about love than just being patient, okay? Um, and I, I think what you want to do is just continue the verse where it says that love doesn't act unbecomingly, still no problem. Love isn't provoked, okay? Still not a problem. You're continually sin, shouldn't provoke me. Uh, love does not seek its own. Love doesn't take into account a wrong suffered. Now watch, here we go. It says love in verse 6 does not rejoice in unrighteousness, it doesn't rejoice in it, but rejoices with the truth. It bears all things, that's true. It believes all things, it hopes all things, it endures all things, it never fails. But love sometimes speaks the truth. The scripture says, don't let kindness or truth leave you. Okay? So unconditional love is a lot more than just doing for somebody else what they always want done for them. All right? Um, let's just talk about enabling for a second. Okay? What's the difference between helping and enabling? Let's, let's, let's just oppose enabling from helping. Helping is when you, you assist somebody to do what they can't do for themselves. Enabling is when you do for somebody what they can do for themselves, or you encourage them or allow them to continue to do that which is not good for themselves. And so we talk a lot about um, how to handle uh, conflict sometimes. And whenever something uh, dishonors God, damages a relationship, hurts other people, or hurts that other person's ability to represent Christ in the way that they've professed a desire to, um, or, or just, just to live a good life, you, you can't keep silent. That's not loving. Better is open rebuke, the scripture says, than love that is concealed. All right, Faithful are the wounds of a friend, but deceitful are the kisses, the enabling encouragement of an enemy, the scripture says. And so um, we have to really make sure. I think sometimes, Adam, people feel like this. They're like, man, if I really love somebody, I, I should do more and more for them, right? And the more I love them, the better spouse I am, the better friend I am. I would say no. The more you love like Jesus, the better friend and spouse you are. And I'll say this quickly about Jesus, who's the visible image of the invisible God. The love of God is always is very patient. It's true. Love is patient. But it's also uh, purposeful and progressive. God loves you just the way you are, but he loves you enough not just to let you stay that way. There's a sanctification process. So even in, in, uh, in Hosea, when God's talking about Ephraim, which is kind of the, the, the ten tribes of the north, and Judah, which is the two to the south, it says, I've been like a moth to Ephraim. Right? A moth is bothersome. It's kind of like there. It's around. It makes you know, but you kind of get rid of it, right? Or rottenness to Judah. But it says because, in effect, um, Ephraim isn't bothered enough by the conviction of God and the presence of God saying, hey, stop it through prophets and through minor consequences. It goes down to Hosea chapter 5, verse 14. It says this, I will be like a lion to Ephraim and like a young lion to Judah. In other words, you see a progression there. 
okay? That God's going to accomplish his purposes. He's gonna let somebody know, hey, this can't continue. It wouldn't be loving for me to let this continue. So uh, unconditional love never helps somebody continue to do that which damages God, damages the relationship, damages other people, or damages that person's um, character, nobility, and certainly profession to represent Christ. All right, well, let's use a real example because I'm sure there's somebody watching right yeah. now that has this going on in their life. What would you say to a husband or a wife and their spouse has repeatedly uh, been adulterous or cheated on them? What, what would you say? How would you apply this principle or these principles we've, we've been talking about? How would you apply that to this situation? Yeah. Okay, well, when somebody is got a spouse, first of all, if, if what they're doing is um, physically threatening that person, like assaulting them, right? And unconditional love uh, doesn't let somebody continue to do things that that are um, gonna damage that person, right? Now that person's acting inconsistent with what you said when you got married you were gonna do, which is I'm gonna help you be the man that God wanted you to be. You're gonna help me, if I'm the wife, be the woman that God wants me to be. And so we spur each other on, right? And so it says this, it says in Galatians 6, uh, brethren, if any of you is caught in any spiritual trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in a spirit of gentleness. First looking to yourself, lest you too be tempted. In other words, so you don't um, you know, do it in an angry way or like I'm a better than you person, right? And it says, and thus fulfill the law of Christ. When you restore them and you seek, anything you do ought to be for the purpose of restoring the relationship and restoring that person back in a relationship with God. So what I would do though is you don't sit on it. When there's sin there, when something's threatening our oneness in the, in the relationship, I, I can't be quiet. Certainly if there's physical abuse, remove yourself from the situation. I mean, call the police, okay? And, and help that person experience consequences to things that are wrong. But I always encourage folks to widen it. Someone asked me this question one time, Ty, what's the best thing you do to love your wife? And I say, I give her permission to tell on me, okay? I say, don't let me um, just verbally box you into a corner and tell you why if uh, you would act different, my actions wouldn't be a problem to you. Come to me, tell me where I'm not being the man that I wanna be, and then if I'm not listening, get somebody else to come and let me listen and, and expand a circle. This, by the way, is Matthew 18, 15 through 17, where it says you go to the person personally, Okay, and then if they don't listen, you, you grab another one and come, and if they don't listen to those two, then you expand it to a larger group, and then eventually the whole church needs to come alongside of you and just say, hey, this behavior is not consistent. So what do you do if a person is in a marriage and they're not acting in the way God says they should in a marriage? Well, first of all, it, it says in, in 1 Corinthians 7, 12 through 14, it says if you live with a wife who's in a sense living like an unbeliever, all right, um, don't don't drive her away. Don't divorce her, so to speak, okay? Because the purpose is restoration. But a woman who has an unbelieving husband, this is now 1 Corinthians 7, 13, uh, and he consents to live with her, she must not send her husband away. It says because the unbelieving husband is sanctified through his wife. Okay, so you're saying, Todd, you tell me I can't divorce a guy who's in serial adultery? What about Matthew 19, the exception clause? Here's what I would tell you, and this is a difficult statement. Um, I mean, and, and you got to watch, God hates divorce, not because he hates divorcees, but because he loves people and divorce ruins lives. So what I would say to you is, look, there might be a need to create a separation and even a legal separation, which is a divorce. But that's what I think the scriptures are warning us against. Don't like give up on them and send them away forever. But there ought to be a progressive, you go from a moth to a lion. And sometimes 
where the body around you says, yeah, this, is a, this person's clearly acting like a non-believer. They're not repentant. They continue to do this. What you say is, I'm not going to just start my life over without you. There might be even consequences that look legal that come into this, but I am here to fulfill my unconditional commitment to you. All right? This is the unconditional love part. Uh, when you got married, you said, I'm going to love you as Christ loves the church. So once Christ give up on the church, Adam, Never. But he will discipline the church, bring consequences to the church. But he is faithful even when we are faithless. It doesn't mean he stays in the relationship and acts like nothing's wrong, okay? But it also doesn't mean he just stops and moves on. And that's the key, okay? And so I think you might even have to sometimes bring about possibly legal action, which would be a divorce, okay? Never alone, never in isolation, never right away. But even the purpose of that is what? Just like what God's purpose was with Israel and Hosea to bring restoration and repentance. But you don't just sit there and act like nothing's wrong. God would never do that, okay? You're enabling when you're helping somebody do things that uh, they shouldn't be doing. That's great. Well, there'll be a lot of great uh, resources in the show notes. Be sure to check those out. Thanks for watching, and we'll talk to you again next week.